Cosmere can be a confusing place. From Allomancy to Surge Binding, there's a lot to look out for. We're your hosts and escorts to the realms. I'm Griff. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is, is the Silverlight Silver Guide to the Cosmere. All right. Welcome back. We're now in Season 2. Officially. The Silverlight Guide to the Cosmere. I'm Alex, like I said in the introduction. <laughs> I am Griff. And today we have back with us owner. What did we... Why did I forget the word again? Producer? Creator? Creator. I, I, I don't know what you said last time. I think Channel it was just owner, something owner? like that. Yeah. Um, content creator, generic entertainment, better known to us as Nathaniel. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you for being here. The purpose of today's episode, as you may have guessed from uh, the title of the, the episode, the title of the episode is, is a review of The Way of Kings. Indeed. Um, but before that, a little shout out to Generic Entertainment's YouTube channel. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching Storytelling Expectations in the 1500s versus today. I think that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm prepared to laugh. Uh, also check out how J.R.R. Tolkien's estate keeps finding new books to publish. Um, real footage. Very and, catchy title. Very catchy. Yeah. And uh, as always, check out the Sanderson Sanderson content that he, he puts out. It's very entertaining. Um, very generic, very entertaining. I was about to say, is it, was it generically entertaining? Yes. Excellent. That mm. is the goal, I believe. Yeah. No originality. No, no. Oh. No. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and then we have a little bit of Sanderson news. Uh, for those of you getting your Sanderson news through us, which y you might be one. I mean, maybe. Uh, maybe. Um, we know that shipments <laughs> of uh, Trust of the Emerald Sea have resumed. Yes. Uh, so those have been going out first to the book-only backers, and then they'll start shipping to the Year of Sanderson backers. Uh, they do have... A little bit of sad news. They had thought that Secret Project 2 would not be delayed, but it will be delayed. This time, it will be weeks instead of months. Excellent. Uh, so they are still hoping to have all of that out, um, I think they said, by the end of April. Okay. Uh, but Secret Project 2 drops on April 1st for those people that do the audiobook or the uh, PDF. Which will be my media of choice. Uh, same. And this time they are not spoiling the title of the name in the file name, or the title of the book in the uh, file name. Oh, okay. They are going to put that behind a zip file, and then you open it, and then you find out the name there. And I guess uh, some people didn't want to find out the name that way. Um, that's, you know, how, uh, how it goes for them. Fair enough. But... Sanderson's team has stated that on the 11th, which is when the audiobook and ebook drop for non-backers to purchase, uh, they will start using the name of Secret Project 2. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, you get 11 days, uh, spoiler-free. We will, if we post our review within the first 11 days, which is likely, uh, we will keep it spoiler-free in the title and change it afterwards. So no worries there listeners we also have a small I think it's very impressive how they kept it secret for so long it really is just to yeah so and and i i i in fact i have i haven't even i i didn't look at the spoilers uh i looked at the 
previews for Secret Projects 1 and 2, I didn't look at anything for 3 and 4, and I still haven't found out anything. So I think that's a testament to the fandom. I agree. I agree. I did... haven't heard anything, yeah. I did get a little spoiled about a couple of things from a Facebook page uh, in the comments. Oh, okay. And so one of those was the fact that one of the stories was from Hoyd's perspective, or, or Hoyd was telling a story to somebody. Uh, which was Stress of the yeah. Emerald Sea, yes. assuming that's not one of the other ones. And then I have a, a secret bit of knowledge that I'm not going to say uh, until it has been revealed through the book. Um, so many more words I could say there, but I'm not going to. Do not. All right. A <laughs> uh, little update from the White Sands Indiegogo campaign. I was about to ask if we had any news on that. And you know what the update they posted today was? What? That we're going to have an update next week. <laughs> Nice. So Good, a pre-update for, of, for our actual update. Yeah, they uh, they wasted a lot of electrons uh, sending me emails. <laughs> to tell us that we're going to have news next week. Yeah, that, fantastic. Was, that was a little odd. Um, Good God, that thing has... Like, I know I've said it before, but I will continue to say that whole s- scenario has just been a mess. I agree. Um, but not to dwell on that, because no. we do have a monster of a book uh, mm-hmm. to get through. Um, that I, is true. Way of Kings is beefy. It is It is beef. It brings the curry. Mm-hmm. Um, it brings the chonk. It does. Uh, so for the first part of this episode, uh, for those of you listening who have read The Way of Kings um, and are like me and like to go read reviews of something you just read because that's a thing, um, we are going to keep this spoiler-free. Um, one, for all of the books after The Way of Kings, um, anything we accidentally let slip, we're going to edit out uh, because I know that we love comparing where characters are now to where they are later. Right. Um, but we are going to do a very good job of keeping this spoiler-free for the, for the other books. For those of you wanting an actual review before you choose to pick up The Way of Kings, we're going to keep this opening bit spoiler free so that you can get our take without being spoiled so first up all right uh i, I for for fear of future ai licensing chat gpt helped me create this outline oh very nice so uh oh really yes okay. so in case that matters you know decades or months from now um some i i have edited it heavily uh but ChatGPT to give give the outline. Would anybody like to take a stab at Jeez. giving a brief synopsis of the book and its main characters? And we can, of course, take turns. Well, well, uh, no, well, by all means, take the reins. Go. Right. Okay. Um, well, to start off with, at least, it it starts off well. It starts off very confusingly uh, with three prologues from three separate, seemingly unrelated perspectives before we finally get into the meat of the story. The meat of the story... (laughs) The meat of the story revolves around three main characters um, with other perspectives thrown in there because, as Griff and Alex have already mentioned, this is an extremely long book. The main character is... or kind of the de facto main character of this book is named Kaladin, who we don't really know very much about at the beginning, but over the course of the book, we start to find out more about his backstory. And Kaladin, at the beginning, the only thing you really know about him is that 
he has been sold into slavery through circumstances that uh, you don't really know anything about. And he is kind of at the lowest point he's ever been in in his life. Um, and that's where the story begins. And if I don't know if anyone want to wants to pick up the other I'll, I'll plop on. We also follow heavily uh, Shalon. Shalon mm-hmm. is a teenage girl who is has been chasing after another character, Yasna Kalin, uh, for six months or so, um, trying to become her understudy or, or, or her protege or, or um, something on me- this, mentee. This um, study under her. Study ward under is, her. The thing, is the word I think ward. they use. Yeah, yes, ward, ward is, is the yeah. word that yeah. they use. That is. And she has very intriguing and complicated plot that a lot of people, it, it's polarizing, I think. Griff, you want to take a stab at Dalinar? Yes, I was about to say. And then we have Dalinar Colin, who is the general of the, what nation are they a part of? The Alethkar. Alethi. Alethi, yes, Alethkar. thank you. Yeah. Yes, a, a general in the Alethi army. Although he is a the, high prince. The, yeah, the high prince, who is uh, suffering some very strange dreams during, that is a good way of putting it. during certain situations. Yeah. Um, and he is also trying to find out uh, the meaning of a message that his late brother left to him. That's right. There is definitely a running theme here of characters not knowing much about their past or you not knowing much about characters pasts yeah there's, that's true there's a, a steep the learning curve yeah. we we can get into the the writing style and the book's pacing and and more about you know how, how sanderson writes in terms of like is maybe this book may might be for you might not be there's a there's a steep learning curve with this book there is yeah yeah i would say that i mean one of the things and hmm, i don't know how to really state this without going into spoilers or right. tangents gotta keep gotta stay spoiler free and darwin, yeah darwin needs to not trip on my <laughs> flip-flops i will say that very much in in a more subtle way of what sanderson did at this year's con where he said that like the go- the gloves are off i believe that having experience with sanderson's other writing is probably the best way to enter into the way of kings I agree with that. Listener, if this is the first episode that you're listening to, first, thank you. Second, check out our best Cosmere reading order and completely don't listen to what I was saying that entire episode. <laughs> um, but Griff has Griff has an excellent reading order. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. So it has a steep learning curve. Yes. And what is, what is Sanderson's prose like? It's So the way he describes it is it's like a window pane, you know, um, he tries not to get in the way of the story as much as possible, which sometimes means that the prose is, is generally kind of uninspiring at best. Uh, and sometimes it can be a little bit clunky at worst. Not It's definitely, by the time we get to The Way of Kings, it's definitely improved a lot from when he first started out as a writer. Completely agree. Um, if you compare if you compare the prose in the Way of Kings to the prose in the early Mistborn books, there's like a significant improvement there. There uh, is, and I genuinely, yeah, like when I first read this book, I didn't notice the prose at all. Really, um, it, it it was only it's only um, a bit, especially as you go 
you're further on into the book, uh, you start to notice it a bit more. But at the beginning, um, it's it's all it's pretty solid, I think, especially in this book. So, yeah, that's. Well, and I think one of the things that Sanderson definitely does in this series that is better than, say, Mistborn is that he doesn't try to immediately explain everything. Like, he will just reference things going on in the world and kind of expect you to get it through context clues, mm-hmm. which I think is a very yeah, that's good a good. Of... That's a really good point. Yeah. And, and I think as a reader, most of the time, not only do I enjoy that, I, I look forward to it. It's mm-hmm. a little puzzle that the, the author is is saying to you, look, I know you don't know what's going on, but I promise you that at some point you're going to, or you can ask me about it, you know, in right. some way, right? Uh, yeah. But, I will say that is probably the only thing, just to pop over to Mistborn really quick, that I think that Sanderson should have done, which is explain what the word ska meant. I agree. Because uh, he doesn't for a good portion of the book. And I was under the impression that it was an entirely different species. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that was... I I don't know why my brain decided to interpret that the way that it did. Uh, it might have been the fact that it was the first Sanderson book I ran into. So I was not aware of the, I guess, presupposition that most of his books uh, entail humans. Right. Uh, yeah. So, did you think that Vin was a ska? Vin, or, no, I don't believe. Or so. I mean, uh, not a. Oh, okay. Because okay. because I don't think she's that's, ever that's explicitly referred to as a ska. If and, okay. and again, it's been years and, since my first reading, so even on a reread, I wouldn't have necessarily noticed that because now I am aware that the ska is just a term for peasant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's um. With, with Sanderson's prose, uh, Back to the Way of Kings, there's an excellent video by a YouTuber that I can't remember, um, but it, I imagine it would be easy to search. Um, they actually... Is it is it man-carrying thing? It may be, where, where he it, dissects... He, he, did a, he did a video quite a while ago about yes. Brandon Sanderson's prose, especially um, in the Way of Kings. Did he... Did he was it also the one that, that dissected Tolkien and Rothfuss as well? Oh, that no, that might be a different uh, one. Th- okay, so um, so we yeah. have we have that okay. one from man carrying thing, um, and then another one uh, looked at Sanderson and another author I can't remember, and those two authors wrote um, with a very that most of the language they use is Germanic based, and then Rothfuss hmm. and Tolkien, um, I believe, were more Latin based words. And so what you you end up seeing, he, he tried to compare similar sized paragraphs, um, uh, similar word count or similar size on a page. Um, I think he did word count. Uh, what you end up seeing is that there were more characters, so longer words um, for Rothfuss and Tolkien compared to Sanderson. That's really interesting. It, it really was. Uh, it was. It was a well done video. So so we really if you if you remember the name of the video definitely yeah I'll I'll see if I can give that, it a that's find and uh, I'll, I'll toss it your way and put it in the show notes okay and and I found I found that really interesting so now I have read some of Sanderson's work physically 
I have mostly listened to the audiobooks, like the good Alethi man I am. <laughs> and yeah. so listening to it, it's it's it you don't get a lot of intense focus on the prose because the narrator is more at the forefront of that. Just for for those of you listening that may be like, ah, I don't really like what I read. Um, give the audiobook a try. Michael yes. Kramer and Kate Redding are both excellent narrators. Honestly, that was one of the things that led me to try it because coupled with the job that I had, and still to some extent have, I knew that I now had the time to devote because I had tried reading The Way of Kings before physically, and I felt that the amount of characters was confusing. The length was very daunting. And so when I started this job and I knew that I had a good amount of time that I was going to try to fill with something because the job that I had was not mentally taxing whatsoever. Um, Part of me was interested in starting Way of Kings because I knew I would have the time and the focus to actually devote to the book rather than getting distracted by other things. So, yeah, that was one of the reasons why I decided to tackle it when I did. And it just coincided happily with your own listening to the series. That's true, yeah. Um, Nathaniel, how did did you come by The Way of Kings? Uh, So I, I read all of Sanderson's books physically. Um, I'm not a I'm not a big audiobook guy really and it well if you're asking how I came to the way of kings generally um I had read pretty much all of the other Cosmere books before then starting with Elantris and just continuing on through Mistborn and uh almost in release order but not quite because I read I read Mistborn era 2 before Stormlight Archive sure. so I had a lot of the broader Cosmere context before uh, reading this book and reading it physically it it definitely is a, a kind of a, a time burden in that you can't read it while doing other things if you like you do when you're listening to an audiobook um, mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a big like thick book and you have to you know sit down and like properly read it uh, and it's kind of even hard to hold sometimes yeah you gotta um, carry your own table so, with you um, yes <laughs> set it up yeah, it's, it's not it's not an easy book to like take take places. So, well, unless you have like the the uh, like mass market paperback yes. edition, of course. Yes. That, that one's yeah. But the hardcover is is massive, genuinely, and I think that's uh, one. Of, that's actually one of the reasons I enjoy the book so much is because it's so filled with gorgeous art, and that's it one of is. the things that drew me to it initially. Is that you just have there's so many full page illustrations in that book. That are just beautiful and yeah. it really immerses you in the world so you you feel like you're kind of you feel like you're doing a lot of so a lot of the um pages in that book the illustrations are sketches by shallan and you kind of feel like you are shallan sometimes like you're going through her notebook and like doing her scholarly work and stuff like that sure. you get really immersed in the world that way they really so they really try to a, make it yeah the stormlight archive right so yeah um yeah it, it is um, I, I have the physical books right here behind me, and I have, of course, cracked them open and to look at the art. Um, for those that do the audiobook, um, if, if you go through Audible uh, and likely other sources, 
there is a way that you can actually view the book art. Yes. Um, so that it, it, you're not missing out. Um, but if you find that you need to, to view it larger, uh, Sanderson actually has all of the book art from all of his books on his website, uh, not behind any kind of gatekeeping. So in case yeah. you weren't aware, audiobook listeners, that is, an, that is a thing that you can do. Although do be wary if you go to look at illustrations for future books because there will yes. be some spoilers. There are yeah, illustrations. Yeah. But there yeah. is some spoiler material there. Definitely. Let's briefly talk about the unreliable narrator. This is one of Sanderson's classic I'll say the word trope, but I'm not sure it's a trope necessarily. It probably is. I mean, the unreliable narrator as a as a premise is a trope. Yes. Sure. Sanderson does a really good job of Telling, this, telling the chapter from the point of view of the character. Uh, so you are getting the world through their eyes. And just like in real life, two people looking at the same thing see it differently. Yes. So there's a real chance that when you learn something in any of Sanderson's books, uh, you do have to take it with a pinch of salt and expect that it might change. And this, this leads me to something that Brandon Sanderson is known for, and that is the Sanderlanch. Yes. Uh, which is a portmanteau of Sanderson and yeah. Avalanche. Nathaniel, how, on a scale of zero to Mount Everest, how much do you like Sanderlanches? Just in general or just in this book specifically? In, in general. In general. You know, I... I, I, I do I, I do really enjoy them for the most part, especially in this book. Um, I think this is one of the the best Sander Lynch's period. I think it, it some of them it, they can vary sometimes in quality because I don't want every book that I read to end in this sort of climactic sequence where everything comes together because then sometimes, especially in the course of a long series, um, things can become a little bit too predictable. Sure. Uh, if you know that everything is building up to one point. But I think, I mean, Sanderson knows how to do a climax better than just about any other fantasy author I've read. He, he knows how to, like, pull the threads together mm -hmm. and uh, bring all the characters together in a way that feels satisfying and exciting. And it, it's it's just a good time. I know? agree. Well, and to jump um, forward yeah. just a bit, I think this actually worked particularly well with Rhythm of War, and we can go into more detail when it gets there. When we when we get to the Rhythm of War right. review. But that said, the tone of the entire book leading up to the Sanderlanch at the end, I think the Sanderlanch does a, a very good job in offsetting that when you finally get there. I agree. Look, yeah, forward, uh, yeah. look forward to more discussion of that in our Rhythm of War review. Yes which yeah. will follow this one shortly. Yeah, no, the Sanderlanch in this book, though, is uh, exquisite because it's not, it's definitely not as thread-pulling as, as other ones. And uh, see, I, I yeah, actually... It's, it's not as... Yeah. No, sorry, go on, oh. Nathaniel. Oh, I was just going to say, it, it's not as uh, over-the-top as some of the other Sanderlanches and other Stormlight Archive books. Like, not everything comes together. There are still a lot of things that are left hanging. And I, the parts that do come together are the part... Are, it's, it's just, like, incredibly elegant which parts he pulls together and which parts he doesn't so that you feel satisfied 
but also you don't feel like the story is in any way over. You feel like it's just beginning. Um, it's almost like the whole book feels like a prologue by the time you get to the end, but also you feel satisfied. I don't know how he does it, but that's what the way of Kings feels like to me. That, that is a, an excellent take. And see, for me, I actually think that at least for my brain and, and I, I very much realized that this is a personal thing and it might've also been in the way that I was, uh, digesting this material. I actually found that the Sandra Lanch at the end of this didn't work for me nearly as well because I moved directly from this into words of radiance. And for a while after it took me some time to remember where way of Kings ended and words of radiance began. And that is exactly why (laughs) we'll be editing this episode in case you mention words of radiance things when we spoiler talk about the end of the way of Kings. Right. I will. Well, no, now I, now I remember where it is. Now you do. Yeah, no, no, no. Now I do. But for a while I didn't. (laughs) And I think it's because like Nathaniel said, it does not pull everything from the book together the way that the Sander Lanches in the other books do. And so I think in, you know, for me, because I, I moved one into the other, I didn't read them right when they came out, you know, all of them were out by the time I started reading. And so I just smoothly went from way of Kings into words of radiance. It, it kind of felt like a, a mid high rather than the high that you get at the end of words mm. of radiance. I'm not going to spoil, but right. like that ending point felt much more like a stopping point in a book than the end of way of Kings did. There you have it folks. If you start the way of Kings, you have to read words of radiance. Oh yes, of you course. can't. You can stop after words. Well, of if you read the way of kings, you won't. You won't have a choice anyway. I mean, you, you really would, won't. You, no, you no, no, no. I mean, nobody's nobody's going to be forcing you. You're just going to read words of radiance. Yeah, this is the like, way. <laughs> this um, is the yeah, way, yes. exactly. <laughs> of kings. Um, uh, so, so now we'll share our initial thoughts and impressions of the book beyond that, um, and and we'll give uh, we'll each give a rating out of ten, off of our own scales that may or may not be in sync with each other. So take, take it with a grain of salt. Um, and, and, and we'll also discuss how much we would recommend this, uh, and who would, re- who, who we would recommend this to. Uh, so the, the way of Kings, um, one of the strongest entries in the Cosmere for me, I love so much about it. I love talking about it. Uh, I think it is the foundation of a really great series. And what would you give it? What what rank? Oh, I guess I should just say my yeah. I would are, are we it, doing this out of ten? Yes. Okay. Um, out of ten. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> oh TN. boy. Um, we have to we have to assign a numerical value a numerical value based on the knight's radiant orders. No, that would be maybe later. Maybe later we'll create a. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. A tier list of the Knights Radiant Orders. Yes. We'll create that tier list, and then we can base reviews off of that. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, for me, I'd give this probably an 8.7 out of 10, uh, which, to give some context there, uh, anything in the nines is like, you must read this regardless of what kind of uh, genres you're into. Uh, A nine and above is there. Between eight and nine is you must read this if you're a fan of the genre that you're that it's in so if you're if you're a fan of fantasy 
epic fantasy, the underdog sports story, that kind of thing. I would, I would say you absolutely need to read this to be happy with yourself uh, as a <laughs> fantasy, as a fantasy fan, okay. as a yeah. fantasy reader. Yeah, Nathaniel. Yeah. So, um, I think that, I think this is. I agree with you that this is one of the strongest. Oh, for me, it is the strongest entry into the Cosmere. Unfortunately, I don't know if it's the the best place to recommend to start the Cosmere, though, just because, as you've already said, it's it's overwhelming to start here. And I think it's if you start here, then in my opinion, it's all going to be downhill uh, with regards to the other starting points, uh, because I, I do I do think this is the strongest entry point in terms of what I would rate it. I'm gonna. I'd I'd say it's like over a nine. Um, okay. Like a nine point two maybe. Yeah. I I don't know if I'm using like the same scale as you because I think there are, there are people that I wouldn't recommend it to. Okay. Um, because it is, it, it's it's like it's not for everyone. Clearly, sure. It's a really long, like extremely indulgent. Some people would say, book. Um, well, it has that an incredibly is, slow it, burn. Yeah. And it's it's just not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I, I I tend to I don't know when I make ratings for books I tend to think more about how much I personally enjoyed them and would rank them. So for me, it's like one of my favorite books ever. So I would yeah I would have to put it up there. I w- I would also rate based on my personal feelings for books, but it would pretty much be a binary where I either <laughs> absolutely loved the book and would recommend you read it, or you should stay as far away as you possibly can from the book. Um, you know, that's that's totally fair. Because I, generally, if I find a book that I don't like, I'll just stop reading it. If I if I finish reading a book, then it's probably because I really liked it. Unless it's, like, really short. Ooh, see, so now totally I'm not fair. that way at all. I it, it has to be really kind of awful for me to not finish a book. Even if I'm not necessarily thrilled about the premise. Super short tangent. Mm. I the, the only book that I did not finish because I didn't like it... I only didn't finish the last 12 minutes of the audiobook. Okay. I had that is really? a point and I am not going to finish them. That's And fair. I am I am horribly sorry to say that it was <laughs> Babel by uh Kwong. Uh which Really? Which, it, yes. Um I've heard out, that's a really good book. So I haven't read it. But. Yeah, so um look out for my uh review when it comes to various books for obvious reasons. I'll I'll do that as a solo review so I don't spoil anything for Griff. Wait, which book? Babel by R.F. Kuang. I The name rings a bell. Yeah, I, I, I talked to you about it, and this is neither the place nor the time. It That's has fair. A, That's has fair. An incredibly cool magic system. <laughs> magic is executed mediocrely, and the characterizations are... <clears throat> it is not the book for me. Fair. Um so okay so So, anyway uh griff griff on your impressions of the book so i would probably put it at a 7.5 or 8 okay 7.5 or 8 to be fair my system or my my rating system does not uh or i suppose my rating system presupposes genre interests because i do not think that i would ever take any book and say you must read this regardless of what genre you are into regardless of what your personal reading tastes are like you must read this book like that i don't i don't think i would ever rate a book that way i'm not saying you're wrong for doing it oh, i'm just yeah, saying yeah. that i never would not even a song for the wild belt no there really? are there are some people that i know that i would not recommend that book to mm, fair 
Um, although when we do our next, yes, uh, I there are some things that I need to attach to that. Yes. Anyway, two tangents today. Yes, so far. However, um, I would say that it is, in my opinion, not the strongest entry in the Stormlight Archives. Um, there was another book that ranked higher than it. So for me, I think it was solid. I I definitely think it's a phenomenal book. I would never tell anyone not to read it. But and and again, it might have been my personal experience of sliding right from this into Words of Radiance. And so that finale not hitting quite the way it was probably intended to. But yes, it is not the strongest in Stormlight Archives. And so personally, I would still definitely recommend it to anybody who showed any kind of an interest in fantasy but just for my own personal rating i i would rate it about 7.5 to 8 somewhere in that range okay so there you go a perfect book i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> uh oh man all right we're going to move into um the probably the, the bulk of of what the episode is going to be for, for the listeners who can't see the outline um it is it is an extensive outline because it's an extensive book uh, and we are going to blaze through this, in my opinion. So, but we are going to do spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, from from here on out. Yes. Uh, spoilers for the Way of Kings. No spoilers for the rest of the Cosmere, insofar as we can point out. I think we can point out world hoppers or mention world hoppers, but uh, as far as the plots of other books and especially the rest of the Stormlight Archive, we are going to stay away. Yes. Um, so if we're okay. all in agreement, we'll go to yeah, uh, part two, the characters. So we, talk, we talked about Kaladin, Shallan, and, and Dalinar. Sanderson hit, hit it out of the park with character development, and I think part of that is due to the fact of his... Is veracity the right word for doing justice to mental health oh yes uh, yeah in characters yes no i definitely agree although i will say just just on our outline here i think there's a fourth main character that while he does not appear nearly as frequently i think that his inclusion in way of kings is just as important is it wit no not wit zeth you're talking about zeth yeah zeth son son vadalano I, I believe that, as I said, he is, does not appear as frequently, but I think that his character development and his points in the book are just as crucial to understanding the story. I agree. I, and uh... That is true, yeah, because the, the final, the, like the finale, really hinges upon uh, the discovery that he makes at the end. Yes. So, yes, yeah. I, I agree. I don't know um, why I was so uh, Zeph opposed. Yeah. Because you don't like this. We're going to have to edit that out, man. <laughs> we don't like <laughs> insert. That's a... <laughs> we don't like insert. No. He doesn't, uh, like, he doesn't like truthless. Uh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I don't like yeah. people who don't walk on stones. That, ah, that is see. something we can put in. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> So Kaladin's story, and Sanderson has said this in his podcast recently when he was talking about Ted Lasso. 
Ted Lasso is is the underdog sports story. And if you go and listen to, I promise there's a point to this. Oh, wait, uh, no, that's fine. I, I uh, just don't know what Ted Lasso is. Oh, Ted Lasso is. is a show on Apple TV. Oh. Okay. Uh, and it is easily one of their oh, best TV shows. Oh, I think I have actually shows. seen a couple um, of episodes of that. Yes. Yeah, it's one of the best TV shows out there. Highly recommend. So you go watch other Sanderson stuff. He talks about, we all know that there are certain plot plots, right? There's the heist, the uh, call to adventure, hero's journey. Uh, oh, I guess the call to adventure is part of hero's yeah, journey. Yeah, I was about to say um, that is definitely a step in the hero's yeah. journey. But then there's the underdog sports story. Right. Uh, and so so he was talking about Ted Lasso and how it's the underdog sports story. And he made many comparisons to the way of kings and specifically Kaladin's story because Kaladin's story is the underdog sports story. Oh, it absolutely is. And, yeah. and I think that's partly because the way the Alethi view warfare. Yeah. Because they, it, it's, it's very much a glory of war. War is a stepping stone to more political and or social power. Mm-hmm. They don't, they they tend not to really care. At least those those higher up tend to not care about the lives of their underlings very mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that definitely gives it a a sports air, even if it shouldn't necessarily yeah. have that. And and when we look and they do they do kind of like gamify it too. They the, do in the way that the because all of the Alethi armies are not working with each other they're working against each other to try to be the first people to get to the plateau and steal the gem heart yeah so there really is like this element that of competition and uh sportsmanship that's going on here i I hadn't thought of that but that's a good point um and and when we look at it from kaladin's viewpoint and the kaladin specific plot points the underdog sports story takes an individual puts them in a team that no member of that team likes the person. And then one of the major plot points is that person has to win over the team. Yes. And then lead that team to victory. Ah, which and is so definitely we see what Kaladin does with Bridge, Bridge four. 4. Right. And and so bringing this back around to the to the character development and mental health, we're we're getting this underdog sports story while we're also dealing with complex characters like Kaladin that are not complex to understand. And what I mean by that is that we aren't seeing a superficial or a a facade of a happy-go-lucky person who has been put in this unfortunate situation and they make the best of it. We are seeing somebody who has been put through the ringer like Nathaniel said earlier, in, almost in his darkest place, and is experiencing depression, which I would bet almost everybody has dealt with personally at one point. On, on at least a, a small scale to yes. chronic, right? Everybody has felt that. Yes. Uh, and, and it makes Kaladin so relatable. And I think I think one of the things that make makes Kaladin so interesting is that his depression isn't just the product of everything that has happened to him. He was we see in his flashbacks that he always was kind of this very existential 
very um, kind of thoughtful and morbid. I don't I don't know if that, those are the right words. Maybe morbid yeah. is a bit much, but he he always was kind of like a little bit depressed, even as a kid. Sure. And he always had a hard time like connecting with other people and just like finding moments of genuine joy. And it just kind of gets worse as it goes along. But obviously, like everything that has happened to him, being sold into slavery and losing his brother, that you know it didn't help. But it, it's not like his current emotional state is the direct product of his physical circumstances, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think and that's one of the things he, I think that's one of the reasons he's so relatable. And I think one of the things I'll also throw in here is one of the, the things I like about the portrayal of depression in this is that it is not the overblown Hollywood style of depression that you usually see mm -hmm. where somebody is just so sad all the time or potentially suicidal or, you know, it's it's Sanderson very much captures that just lack of energy that comes with depression. That, you know, you don't want to do anything, you don't find enjoyment in the things you normally do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in these throes of of hysterical sadness. It's just kind of that emptiness that I think he captures very well because Kaladin is still doing things. He still tries things, you know, even when he's a slave and things like that. And they tend not to work out and he tends to slip a little deeper into the depression at that. But it's never it's never this thing where he's he's just crying all the time or anything like that, which is not to say that's not a valid portrayal of depression. But I think it's one that we get a little more common and I think that he hit another note of depression in Kaladin, and I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, he, he has his, like, ups and downs. Like, it's not all just one emotion that he's experiencing all the time, but he has bursts of motivation where he is, even bef going before where the book actually starts, uh, we know from Kaladin's past, like, as he was in the army, and then again as he was... Uh, a slave and trying to escape over and over again and rescue people and failing again and just going through that whole cycle for uh, something like a year I think he you know he has like these cycles of motivation and demotivation that are uh, just really realistic they are so they really are what else can we say about Kaladin as a character it, it's not just that he is a character that has depression and or, or he's the character that has mental health issues. Right. It, no, no, no. It's definitely, definitely not, not mm -hmm. that. I will say that he is absolutely our flagship character into the magic system and into the idea of the Knights Radiant much more than any other character is. While we have impressive, uh, uh, impressive moments with Shallan and Dalinar and Zeth, I really think that Kaladin is used as the flagship and anchor point for the entire Knights Radiant. Yeah. I mean, like, Kaladin. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Kaladin. Go oh, go, were you, were you saying? No, something? no, no, no. You, you go. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Kaladin, he really allows us to like, see what the Knights Radiant are from the ground up. Uh, because throughout this book, we really, we know that the right Knights Radiant existed, but we don't really know what they were or what they stood for, except in the most vague of terms. They're just kind of these mythological figures. And so when we follow Kaladin, we don't know at the beginning of the story that he's going to become a Knight Radiant. Um, but 
and and what we see is we see this like progression we see him moving towards his ideal so that when he finally speaks the idea at the ideal and you realize that he is a knight radiant everything it feels like everything happened naturally like there was no exposition about what the knights radiant stand for you just you see it in kaladin and so at the end of the book suddenly it all kind of clicks and you're like oh okay this is what the knights or the, at the very least this is what the windrunners are about it's about protecting people it's about um you know going out of your way to to service people even when you don't want to so yeah i think i really like the way that's introduced organically and potentially because he's a windrunner and not a light weaver or anything like that i think we definitely see a much more blatant progression from him than shallan who is quite a bit more subtle or gonna cut that one out i i didn't spoil anything i know well but really really what i mean well i'm being picky i'm sorry all right fine whatever regardless Uh, did you guys cut out Um, no we were we were glaring at each other kind of restart that whole sentence is that i think kaladin has a much more blatant or obvious progression as a nice radiant where some other characters are more subtle or take their own path kaladin is methodical and very obvious about his progression as a knight's radiant yeah and i'm gonna i'm going to state something that may or may get reactions okay about the truthfulness of what I'm about to say. Moash. Oh, <laughs> cutting that one out too. Um, oh, I thought you were going to be going on the whole. <laughs> uh, no. So okay. for, for, for those of you listening, there's a Knight's Radiant quiz that we have talked about. Oh, before, yes. Right? Okay. So you can go find out what the orders are, but in the way of Kings, Nobody tells Kaladin that he is a Windrunner. No. It is heavily implied, mm-hmm. but we actually don't find that out until Words of Radiance. We are going to continue discussing Kaladin being a Windrunner because it is not really a spoiler at this point in the book's It is life. very much an open secret, as it were. If you are this far in our review... You have read the book. Yes. And if you were thinking, uh, maybe I should read Words of Radiance, and I hope they put out a Words of Radiance review, Kaladin is a windrunner. That is what he is. You see the magic work. Um, you're not getting spoiled there. Uh, so we're going to continue. I think if you just read the first book, too, you don't really know what windrunner or any of the other orders right. are. Or I what believe, that means necessarily. So. I believe Zeth mentions windrunners and that he has the Windrunner powers. Right, because that all ties oh, okay. into his... Okay, yeah. Yes. The truth of what he was saying and all right. of that. So we do start to see the borders of the puzzle that Sanderson is connecting the pieces yes. for us. That yeah, okay. didn't make sense. But... I, I just remember when I first took that uh, Knight's Radiant quiz, I didn't really know what any of the orders were or what they meant because that was early on while I was reading the series. What did you get? Because uh, it's not, yeah, but Truth Watcher. Truth Watcher? Yeah, same. Yeah. I am Else Caller. Oh, really? I feel, like, I feel like that's like the most common one for some reason. Is Truth Watcher? I don't know. I, I, I've seen, yeah, I've seen a lot of Truth Watchers. I haven't seen very many Else um, Callers, Griff. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I suppose I am. I am somewhat singular 
I did uh I did retake the quiz and I actually got Windrunner. Uh, and then I went back okay. and changed my answers until I got Truth Watcher. So, um, <laughs> I will say one of the things that I do like about the quiz is that it shows your percentage <laughs> in each yeah. ranking. It doesn't just give you the one you got that's most common because yeah. I think that that allows somebody, if they see that they are very close between two and they feel like they fit the other one mm-hmm. more than the one they were given. And And I'll repeat this until the day I die. Sanderson has stated... It's more about which one you feel like you would be a part of. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Would want to be. Uh, so so. No uh, quiz like that is going mm, to be able to encapsulate mm. encapsulate everyone's personalities. No. Perfectly. So. Uh, but there is your hyper flexible mythology for the day. Shalon's character development is slow. Slow, <sighs> and and uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle something that people point out as one of the biggest turn turnoffs of Shalon to start. And that is her jokes suck. <laughs> they suck. They're 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 horrible, but they're yeah. so entertaining too. They are entertaining, but yeah. a lot of people really get turned off by them. Oh interesting. And what is what is more interesting is that it's not that Sanderson is trying to force comedy in. Right, no. That is part of Shallan's character. Yeah. Because at some point, Yasna says, stop trying to wield your wits like a blunt axe or something like that. Yeah. And think before you speak. <laughs> Which, because then we see Yas. No, I'm going to cut that. I'm going to cut all of what I just said. Uh, because Yasna, but... So people, I am, I am going to stand Shalon Devar and say that people need to get over it. I mean, yeah, if you, if you I, have I, bad I 100% jokes, agree. Yeah, I, I 100% agree because if you have bad jokes as an intentional part of the character and not just that you're terrible at telling jokes, like, I think you should just accept that about the character. Yeah. I think there's also something now to, to be, f- okay. Oh. Uh, I was just going to say, to be fair, I think Sanderson's style of humor does sort of match Shalon's and that he does love his dad jokes he does. in general. He and does. so I, th- I, th- I think that he did write Shalon so that he would be able to tell those kind of jokes. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that it is an intentional part of her character. Given that Shalon's dad is dead, she did have to pick up the slack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um Yeah, but... Uh, so Although so- I don't remember Lynn DeVar telling too many jokes. Too. Yeah, he was he wasn't a very funny person. No, uh, he he really wasn't. <sighs> yeah, there there's whew, there's some baggage there. There's there's a lot of baggage. Um, Shalon was carrying it across the ocean. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. You're, you're just you're, you're you're just like Shalon. A little bit, a little bit. Um, I'll stop. Uh, I'll stop. Uh, but but um, to give credence to those people who don't like Shalon's chapters very much, we know that when books have multiple character point of views that are that are the main points of view, they tend to pick their favorites. And as a, a, a guy that has, you know, dealt with depression through whatever means, I, I super relate to Kaladin way more than I relate to Shalon. 
And I, I definitely understand why a lot of fans may be like, ah, it's a Shalon chapter. I got to get through it more than, you know, Kaladin's super cool, right? Uh, just very superficial ways of thinking about it. And and it's valid to feel like that. It's okay to not like Shalon's chapters, but try to use better arguments than her jokes are bad. Right. Well, and I you know, like, I think Shalon's chapters pick up a lot faster than people imply um because i think when she's i mean this is this is not a spoiler free section um when she starts to admit to herself that she's trying to steal the uh soulcaster the soulcaster thank you um you're welcome then i i think that's really where her her chapters start taking off in terms of development and character progression and that happens way earlier, as I said, than people seem to imply when they're talking about Shalon. I agree. Um, and I think that while her her story points are somewhat underplayed, mostly because of, well, a lot of things. Her particular Radiant Order and just her character in general, she's much more subtle. She's not as blatant as Kaladin is. And I mm-hmm. think that that shows through everything that she's doing yeah nathaniel you know i I think i'm in the minority here and that i enjoy kaladin and shallan's chapters basically equally Hmm. um so and also when it comes to shallan's plot being slow i didn't really find that but that's partly because i just i really liked seeing all the details of her scholarly life i really liked the the conversation she has with yasna and taravangian about theology uh, I just I I thought that was really well done and interesting. And even even at the very beginning, when she's trying to become Yasna's ward, and Yasna is like forcing her to prove her knowledge of different subjects, and she's kind of floundering. I, I those scenes were just really entertaining, and how she finally wins her way into Yasna's good graces by basically writing a college application essay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I at the very least, I found that part relatable. So. Um, yeah, that, I I really enjoyed Shalon's chapters from the very beginning, just as much as I enjoyed Kaladin's. But I I I thought it was a a great foil to Kaladin's plotline, and it, it whenever you know I felt like I was getting too much of one thing, we would just get a totally different vibe in Shalon's chapters, and that was really nice. So I agree. I thought it worked. Yeah, I agree with that. So for those listening, uh, like Shalon's chapters, we told you to do so. Well, and I will say this. I think one of the reasons that people have an issue with Shallan's chapters, at least initially, is that she does come off as a very passive character initially. Mm. She is not proactive. She is very reactive. She is reacting to everything that is going on around her. She is not... Very rarely, she is taking the initiative. And that changes later, don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. But traditionally, you will find that passive characters are not as popular as active characters are. That's just a truth of writing. Um, and so therefore I think that is one of the reasons why she is probably not as popular, uh, initially as Kaladin is. That makes sense. To be fair, I think Kaladin, Kaladin, uh, for the entirety of part one is not very agentic at all. Um, he, he's like extremely passive up until the honor custom scene. And that's when everything kind of changes. I, at at least, at least from what we've seen, I disagree to some extent. Um, I would say that he actually starts being very proactive when he 
starts trying to rally the bridge four characters. That's after the honor. Yeah, I know. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. I was. I I'll 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 push a little bit on. Um, Kaladin was in a very passive situation, but when he was trying to tell Tavlakov, "Hey, this this slave needs water, and he'll be fine. Don't worry. Like he's not going to die. Just give him extra water." Right. Um. Yeah. Kaladin okay. was being, but I mean, at the same time. Shalon's whole thing once we find the reveal that she once we get the reveal that she's after the soul caster um same energy there oh yeah um, no she absolutely does as i said like at that point she picks up and it's because she admits to herself what she's trying to do and so she starts being much more proactive in her thinking and what she's doing i would also say um kaladin even starts picking up after his um uh his trip to the uh oh what's that chasm called honor chasm is it the, the honor, honor chasm, chasm? just yeah okay yes i was thinking of, i have a completely different event in my brain okay i don't know where my brain was on that front no but the i it, even then he's a little bit reactive because it does take still bringing the uh the plants is it blackbane Something like that. I'm not going to open the yeah. book to find out. But <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's um, something like that. But even then, like you said, I mean, I think Kaladin is just much more forceful in the presentation of his personality. Yeah. Um, we also get background chapters or back backstory, um, flashback chapters. True, which does uh, paint him in a much yeah. more proactive light at that yeah. point in his life. That's true. We are gonna we are gonna move to the to the other two characters. Uh, and then swiftly move through some of the some of the standouts that are side characters. Yes, uh, Dalinar character progression in the Way of Kings. Not a whole lot. Not a of whole it. lot. We don't get a lot from his point of view. We do get very interesting things from his point of view, and as the book continues, we we do get more towards the end. I think. Well, I think the thing with Dalinar is that we see him trying to lead a life that is not very natural to him. Oh really? Well, based on this isn't really spoilers. Based on the the message that his his oh, brother yes. left behind, like he is he is starting to try to follow the way of kings. When I mean, even even in the beginning, it's not expressly stated what it was like before, but it is stated that this is not the way that he used to act. That's true. So I think that it's it's one of the things we see with him is that we're actually kind of like inserted in to in the middle of his character development. We don't start it with him. We're in, in media res. Yep. Is that there? Yeah. We're kind of in media res with his character development because he's trying to live in a certain way based on the message from his brother. And he's not even entirely sure why he's doing what he's doing. That's fair. So, yeah. Nathaniel, what do you got on, on character development for Dalinar? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely agree with that. And the other major thing with Dalinar is, as we talked about earlier, the visions that he's having are having a major effect on his sanity. And he's starting to, you know, he, he knows something weird is going on. Like, he's he's very clearly at a point in his life where things are shifting. And he's yeah. at the beginning of something, some like new stage in his life. 
And um, a, a large part of his arc in The Way of Kings is actually wondering whether he's going insane, I think. That's true. Um, and, and trying to figure out what's going on with him. And if he's not going insane, then why is he having these visions? What do they mean? Uh, so it, it is like very definitely tied to the plot his character development in this book but it, there is there is still like sort of an arc there even though we don't you know it we don't get the full story of why Dalinar is the way he is until two books later and then you kind of everything kind of clicks into place no spoilers but no uh, spoilers yeah I will also say that what we see a lot for him is his him trying to be a mentor to Elkar and figure out what that means in regards to his new outlook on life and the life he is trying to live, uh, trying to follow the way mm. of Kings as well as mentor Elokar. When Elokar is seeing the culture of the Alethi that is very not following the way of Kings in their acquisition of wealth and their lavish uh, celebrations and everything like that. So, yeah, I th I think he has an interesting I think he has an interesting character introduced. I think the only thing is that we don't get a lot of payoff for that character until further in the series. Fair. Uh and and so Seth, oh go ahead. Oh, I, I was also going to say uh his relationship with Sadeas uh, is also like a very kind mm -hmm. of important part of um defining who he is because I feel like he kind of in a lot of ways in this book, he defines himself against Sadeus. And, you know, the, the, his climax in this book is the scene where Sadeus betrays him and he kind of figures out the truth about this man. And, yeah, I don't... He, he goes back and forth over the course of the book about Sadeus and whether or not he should trust him. And that that relationship is, is pretty important, I think, to his arc in this book. That's true. There, there, there is that for sure. Yeah, I think his relationship with Sadius is definitely a large part, especially because Sadius used to be, or still kind of presents himself as a friend, a a close friend that doesn't quite yeah. understand what Dalinar is doing with his his new life and his new outlook on life and things like that. So, yeah, and th and then we have Zeth. Yes, um, truthless of Shinovar. Zeth's son, son, Villano. Truthless of Shinovar. Yes. Or White, the day he was to kill a king. Indeed. I think you have an excellent video on that, too, don't you, Nathaniel? On Zeth? On, on um, or... uh, The Way of Kings. Um, I think it's a, it's a, a little mm -hmm. skit where you're in a park and somebody asks you... <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, if, yeah. If the Way of Kings is is good to read, and and <laughs> and then you just you just <laughs> spout that, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> the because before I read the Way of Kings, I heard that sentence over and over again. I had no idea what the context was. I just knew that that was how the book opened, and so it was very gratifying when I finally read the book to. Well, I, you still don't understand what that sentence means, really, mm -hmm. uh, until later on. But, you know, to get the full context of which king he's killing and why he's wearing white and all of that, that's, that was uh, gratifying. That's but true. it is, yeah, it is really hard to explain the plot of this book. So sometimes you just have to start with the beginning. Yeah. Plus, uh, honestly, like that opening scene and the abilities that we see Zeth present 
throughout the entire thing. And you don't at that point you don't even really know who you're rooting for. Like you don't know whether or not you're rooting for Zeth to, to succeed or not. But you do definitely get a very action-packed scene almost straight off the bat with the abilities that Zeth has and is able to produce. And so it kind of gives you a little bit of a taste that keeps you moving forward to see what else the book has in store. Yeah. And I love how it breaks so many of the rules of normal prologues because like the powers that Zeth uses don't ever come up again in the entire book almost, except in Zeth chapters, and then only occasionally. Um, you almost, like, I, when I first read this book, I read this chapter, and then I completely forgot about all of the Windrunner abilities until the very <laughs> end, when I got to the Ars Arcanum, and I was like, oh yeah, that was the thing, I forgot this book had a magic system. Uh, because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, you're right, because, I mean, I think the only thing we really see is we see Shalon. We see Shalon definitely show some of her abilities, mostly accidental. And we definitely see some powers uh, used from Yasna. Yeah. But for the but it's all like part, it's all like unconnected. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's all um, like it's all very disconnected and, and you don't yeah, it, it's not presented in a unified way the way it is later on in the series. Yeah. I agree. Zeth's character arc is it's not really anything in the way of Kings. Not until uh, you get to the very end. Not until you get to the very end. But even then we see him get, we, we see his kind of his point of view of what it's like to be ordered around by people who don't know what they're doing with his oath stone. That's really the depth of his character we get. Well, and also he, is it? Does he encounter Kaladin at any point in Way of Kings? No. No. Okay. Then, yeah, I know. I completely agree. Until the very, very end, we really don't see any much, any character development from him apart from his own point of view on what's going on. But even that is very sparse. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, cool. <laughs> there, there are, th- this is. It's, this... His story is like set up for book two, kind of. That's true. Um, yeah, a lot of it, but it's told. It's told through the interludes, which are that's like kind of mm-hmm. what the interludes are for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the interludes are such a brilliant touch to these books. So I think it, I think it works pretty well. They are. They really. Uh, they really add something. Honestly, I will definitely uh, agree with that. I think that actually there are some books that would probably benefit from interludes, uh, which is a subject for another yeah. time. But I I think his ability to introduce side characters and concepts that don't need fleshing out until later, but we are still introduced to them in the first book through the interludes is a brilliant touch. Yeah. This book is really like we get the main points of view, but it's, it's an ensemble. There are so many different characters. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to take a brief moment to, to mention some standout characters that are particularly interesting. Um, Maybe say a few words if there's anything in particular, that uh, I want to discuss, Syl, Silfrena. She is adorable, adorable in the is a good inter- word. like in the initial chapters when she is playful and not quite as intelligent as she ends up being later on. Uh, so she's still very childlike in her mannerisms and things like that. I I love how um, she she kind of like embodies a lot of the stereotypical fairy tropes. Um, and that she she plays pranks on humans and 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's one of the things that's so funny about the early chapters in this book is that Syl is like constantly annoying Kaladin. He, she's like uh, making his feet stick to the ground and stuff. And you get the impression that she's been doing that for a while. And um, you, don't, you don't even really get any explanation for why other than that she wasn't like fully in her mind at that point. She was still like kind of gaining consciousness. Yep. So yeah, the, the way their relationship just kind of slowly naturally develops where she's like annoying him and then he like slowly starts to realize that she's more than just a, an annoying fairy, but and actually starts talking to her and all of that all of that kind of culminates in the um the the scene at the honor chasm is yeah it's it's really fun yeah i like it and then um another another scene with her that really kills it is uh right before kaladin says the second ideal and and sill is like i remember what spren i am oh yeah I'm oh yes, friend. where she becomes I'm, like a tall yeah she becomes a human sized, a human sized yeah. you know i bind things uh like oh okay cool <laughs> and then <laughs> i mean it's like wh- what and then um and then kaladin goes and does the cool thing but in hindsight in retrospect a nice little moment of magic which is a, a weird word to use there but a, a nice little moment of of etherealness kind of bringing the chapter yeah. down to a low to then build back up to the, the second climax. ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, bridge four. Oh, and, and, and oh, well, sorry, while we're talking about favorite soul moments, just one more shout out is Hit the us. moment Hit where it, the moment where she's um, holding back the death sprint from Kaladin after yes. he's almost was strung out in the high storm and almost died. Um, that that was just a, such an amazing moment. I agree. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, bridge four. Absolutely brilliant. Love bridge four. Love the mix of personalities. We don't really get as much development on them until book two. But even what we see here is, mm-hmm. I absolutely love. Who's your favorite bridge four member? Brock. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Brock. Brock. By far. Nathaniel. Uh, it, sometimes it's rock, and sometimes it's Sigzil. Okay. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I really I I love Rock's energy. Yeah. And yeah, just so his bad. whole um, yeah, he he yeah, he's just like memorable. The moment he's introduced, he's just so memorable. And then Sigzil, I love how kind of. I don't know. I, I love how like irritable he is and how kind of reluctant he is at first. And yeah, and and how he's like, you know, you keep finding he was trained by Hoyd eventually. And you're like, oh, wait, what? You know, how did, where did that come from? Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's just like a lot more to him than meets the eye. But yeah. Yeah. Just like Transformers. <laughs> uh, so, uh, my favorite um well i really like teft oh yeah yeah um moash and so we're gonna move on to you know in 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 this (laughs) book you're not wrong you're when i first read the way of kings i was always wondering why does i i i loved moash in the way of kings and then um you know well yeah there's no reason not to love him later um exactly um yeah mm. so okay so then we have yasna who is 
what's the word I'm looking for here? She's just in the Shalon chapters. And we don't, I don't believe we get any point of view from Yasna. <laughs> no, we don't. Well, no, I don't think wait, so, yeah. no. What about at the very end? Mm, no, no. Is that not until? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's been Yasna, a while. I honestly need to do a reread. Uh, Yasna, it's not quite fridging at all. It's not really no, fridging. No, it's not. But... I mean, like, it's kind of initially presented that way, but... Well, okay, but there is an interesting point that we see with her. Yes. Which is her presentation of the Soulcaster um, against the the would-be um, muggers. Yes. Which is honestly slightly terrifying yeah. when you think about it, considering that she, without skipping a beat, completely and utterly murders them. And, I mean, I, I don't really think I'm spoiling anything no, no, with that. Like, she, up, she turns she one to crystal. She turns one to fire. I think she turns one to dust or smoke or something. And, like... She does not bat an eye at the fact that she's doing this. And like, I get that they're muggers and everything, but I won't deny as cool as the scene is, it does seem a bit overkill for the threat that they were facing. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think it's, it's an important moment of character development or, or of, of showing us Yasna's character. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, is a very objective, almost absolutist in terms of I am in danger, nothing else matters. I have the ability might equals right in this situation because it's me. And I don't know how much of a spoilerish discussion this is. So okay. feel free to cut this part. I'm kind of surprised with something that we learn later, the ease with which she transforms the muggers. Hmm. I'll, I'll I'll cut this here in case we need to cut this. But like we learn later you mean, that you mean it like... should be very difficult to transform living flesh. Oh, uh, why? I thought isn't there a, isn't it said later that it's just really hard to transform flesh with the transformation ability? Or like living people, like I I don't think it's something we see very often. Well, no, but I think it's stated um, at some point that it's, it probably is. It's a lot harder okay. to transform. Well, because you have to convince it to transform the way that you know, like she has to convince the air to transform into oil, hmm. and Shalon yeah. tries. Right. Um, and I think at at some point in the book, and again, I'd have to do a reread to point to the specific section. Feel free. But I'm just kidding. I, no, right, I'm I know. Um, somebody says that it's it's very difficult to transform living people with that ability. And so the ease with which she does it with the muggers is was surprising to me hmm. retroactively. Oh. Well. We I would definitely... I would love to see that scene from Yasna's perspective actually now that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, I I'd be curious as to how she did that. But no, I do the bugger scene was was really impressive. The, yeah, do we have anything to say about Yasna as a character? I don't think we get a lot of her character. We we get a lot of the mask that she presents to the world. That's a good way to put it. 
like like that's that's what we see mostly is the mask that she presents to the world. We don't see a lot of her actual character until I think book two. Yeah. Maybe potentially the very end of book one when she's uh presenting the blank book to Shalon. Does she not do that in words of radiance? Is that words? No, of the, the I think no, I think she presents that. In, that's in the Way of Kings. Yeah, okay. I think that's at the end of the Way book, of Kings because the, the whole yeah, the poison, book of endless pages, the whole poison, uh, situation is at the end of Way of Kings. Okay, the poison jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's all at the end of Way of Kings. Oh, and she gives the book. And and then Yasna gives the blank, the empty book to Shalon yeah. based on some philosophy that I'm drawing a blank on, but I actually really like the premise of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, small tangent for the real world, uh, Sanderson was going to call Words of Radiance the book of endless pages. Oh. Um, but his his uh, editor or, or publisher was like, look, they're already going to make fun of you for having 1,200 pages in your book. <laughs> you can't call this the book of endless pages. They're going to rip you to shreds. Um, okay, that's fair. That's second fair. tangent, uh, and Daniel Green has an excellent video on this. Somebody wrote a very negative article about Sanderson for Wired.com. I, I actually oh, just, boy. a TikTok, yeah. I actually yeah. just... just what? was introduced to that what a horrifying we, we we can cover this in a later episode but um if you happen to listen to this and also happen to have read that wired article um throw that garbage out uh that is just i don't know if you that's know unbelievable that Nathaniel. that got printed yeah yeah no i um, i do know about it yeah that's it's unbelievable it's it's really it made me sick to my stomach that somebody would say stuff like that so so that's i think four or five tangents adolin we do get some chapters from his point of view he's a fan favorite uh even even in the way of kings i think not for me in the way of kings really but yeah not really i don't know i didn't connect with him that much in the way of kings that's fair now when he when he's when he starts uh well later on in, in the other books i i do quite like that's fair uh i don't know he he just he didn't have any of that same deep internal complexity that i thought kaladin did and he uh i don't i, I, don't, I don't think there was that much that we got from him in this book no Although i'm we, probably we did see I'm him probably as missing a, a lot of stuff but we did see him as a womanizer um yeah yeah which bit. was uh not not that he was a womanizer more like he was going through all of the eligible women um yeah and that was entertaining in my opinion but um without without spoilers it, it was basically a it was basically a um oh. it wasn't uh, i don't know but yeah it, it wasn't like a character trait more than it was a yeah. running gag in that book I that think. that's fair that's fair definitely definitely grew to love okay elicar we see uh a lot of elicar's elicar as a character not a lot of development but we do see him as a character Yes. And what a whiny little... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, we do not see a lot of development to him until further in the series. 
Yeah. Well, he we do see we, he does kind of speed run his development when he gets beat up by Dalinar. Um, <laughs> he does. I, I think that. Yeah. I, th- I think that left an impact on him. Certainly. <laughs> he had very strange paternal uh, instincts. Yeah. I uh, will say that it it definitely is very indicative of what an Alethi prince or Alethi royalty, probably their viewpoint on the world. That's fair. And yeah. so, I mean, like, while it, it's not a lot of development on his front, I think it is very indicative of the kind of culture the Alethi have and how their nobility and the royalty interact and, and that whole thing. Because the nobility really have the power because they just keep the Alethi king and everything, like, sated with, with celebrations and things like that while they run everything just underneath. And so I I thought it was interesting on that front. Yeah. It's um that's about what we get with Elicar. Basically. Um, at least for this book. Sadius acts as I think the main antagonist for Kaladin's storyline, definitely. Story and Dalinar's and I think Dalinar's. as well. I, I don't think he becomes the main antagonist of Dalinar's until the end. Well, I mean, really... Like, like we know behind the scenes that he is. So I suppose on that front, yes. But yeah. Dalinar definitely does not see him as an antagonist until true. the end of book one. That's true. Um, yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, definitely, let's see, if it would go off the actual definition of an antagonist, you know, somebody trying to stop the character from doing something... Um, that's maybe, definitely for Kaladins. Yeah, and maybe antagonist isn't the right word or the most perfect word to use. But well, cons- considering that most of the characters in this book generally want to stay alive, and Sadius is not very conducive to that. Um, I think he's an antagonist in that sense. That's, That's fair. a fair point. For, like Bridge Four. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he yeah. he does actively want Kaladin to die. Yeah. Because of the, and, the well, I mean, yeah. Like at the beginning, he doesn't really know. Uh, too much who Kaladin is uh, he just is killing him or planning to kill him by virtue of his being a slave but then as the story goes on and he starts to like learn more about this bridge man who is kind of usurping his authority then he becomes more directly kind of antagonistic but he is yeah yeah but an interesting character oh uh, yeah no he's he's a phenomenal character like yeah. for him being an antagonist he does a very good job of making you hate him. Yeah. And I think that that's actually probably the main complaint I have had, not about any of Brandon Sanderson's works, but stories in general is that if you introduce an antagonist that I do not dislike or, or if you introduce an antagonist that I am neutral about, that is going to be one of my big down votes for a book. Either make me relate yeah. to your antagonist yeah. or make me hate your antagonist. But do not have me, by the end of the book, not feeling anything about your antagonist. Hmm. That's a uh, that's a good word of advice to all you aspiring writers. Yeah, fair. And I think, I think also uh, Brandon did a good job uh, making, making it so that Sadius's villainy was subtle enough that other characters don't necessarily draw attention to it because one of my other big pet peeves with villains is when 
sometimes they're like introduced in a book and all of the other characters immediately hate them uh where you just like you have all these normal characters and then just one character who's like obviously shady and you just know that he's going to betray everyone and it's just like be horrible and Sadias, like he is he is obviously like a terrible person from the very beginning but at the same time dalinar respects him and doesn't think that he's an actually evil person he just thinks that he's kind of morally bankrupt in some ways so uh having the having the other characters have nuanced opinions about Sadias rather than just kind of like hating his guts from the very beginning made me hate Sadius's guts even more because I feel like I'm seeing something the characters aren't. No, yeah. and that's actually a really um, good point because if you think about it, Sadius, while he is very much a personal antagonist to Kaladin very early on and Dalinar later on, in the terms of Alethi culture, what he's doing is not unusual. Like, he's definitely an antagonist to yeah. our two characters, but on, on a broad spectrum... From most people's point of view on the acts that he's engaging in, he has every right to do so, and it's not unusual. Yeah. It's not wrong. Like, so no, I think that's actually a really good point, and I I do like that presentation of his character because he comes off as much more of a personal antagonist, not a almost I guess objective or macro antagonist. Yeah, those are those are really good yeah, points. Really have anything else? And I think that's one reason I actually, uh, I think that's one reason I like the Way of Kings so much. I, the way I think that's one of the reasons the Way of Kings is one of my favorite Stormlight Archives books, at least, um, is because I like how the, these conflicts are not conflicts where the fate of the world is necessarily at stake, but just interpersonal conflicts between people. Um, and I really like the the characterization of Sadias and the what he brings to the story. So. I would recommend you read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin, uh, if you like that kind of thing. It's uh, fiction, not okay. fantasy, but uh, it's, it is all about those interpersonal relationships. I recommend. And see, interestingly enough, I, I think this is one point where I would somewhat disagree with you, uh, Nathaniel, which is I love those interpersonal like antagonists relationships and, and that kind of thing and the much more low level stakes but i like it in a setting where it match like like okay to use to use a, an example star wars if you're giving me the main star wars movies i want stakes and scenarios that reflect the fact that this is high space opera like fate of the galaxy kind of stakes where if you're going to have those much more low-level interpersonal things, give me things like The Mandalorian, where it is much more street-level. Hmm. And so I feel like with Way of Kings, I'm not even, this is not ragging on Way of Kings, but I think what, maybe one of the reasons that it is not my favorite of the series is the fact that if you're giving me a lot of those low-stake interpersonal conflict sort of situations, I expect to see it in a series or from a character's perspective that is not going to be engaged with those really high stake drama situations by relatively early on in the series. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think for me, that's part of the reason I kind of found this book unique is that the high fantasy setting combined with the very personal stakes as opposed to the epic stakes um, is something that drew me to it. Even though I do like the epic stakes later on, I think this book does stay pretty grounded 
in the the characters themselves, which is something I like. But yeah, and that's, that's no, that's fair. That's I a mean, valid like, point. That, I, I'm just, I think it's just a matter of personal taste. I don't think there's one right answer on that. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, fair. Uh, the last, the last character, I think. Uh, we'll discuss before we move on to um we'll go ahead and go to world building after this but uh wit i love wit wit is magical <laughs> i oh, come on <laughs> I, I think wit is fantastic i like the fact that he is very much a classical almost jester type figure mm-hmm. which is his satire is turned against the powerful and is used to take those in positions of power and bring them down and that is a very a very classical representation of the fool or that kind of a character because I, I mean even in real world like like positions that those were was these fools were used to to poke fun at those in positions of power and and knock them down a peg and i think wit very much represents that to a t and i enjoyed seeing that kind of presentation i agree and I think it's so fascinating that everyone just tolerates him despite everyone hating him. It, it just kind of, it goes to show you how Alethi society is structured in this way, where it's like, they all want to kill him, but they know they can't really, even though right. they, they know that somebody else inevitably will. Uh, right. At least that's what they think. And and then we get the storyteller, Hoyd, uh, yes. with the Wondersale. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just uh it it's it's that thread of of blossom, blossoming magic that captivates a deeper part of me across the cosmere well and i think it's definitely something we've seen uh, uh maybe this is a spoiler and you'll have to cut it out it's something we've seen from this character before Sure. And it's definitely a a staple of his character in which he is the storyteller that affects the people he encounters by telling stories that are pertinent to the situation they are going through. And I will agree that he he's kind of like this atypical trickster god almost archetype where he comes in and he like Actually, I'll leave that particular sentence for another time. But Sounds good. He comes in and he does mess with the characters' lives. Sure. And he does mess with their path. But they end up better off for it at the end, even though he does kind of bring in this chaos and he shakes things up a little bit. By the end of things, they're in a much better place. Sure. So it's not true total trickster god. Because those usually work better with one-off stories. But I think that he fills a very similar role. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, uh, having read all of the rest of the Cosmere before reading The Way of Kings, actually, um, I'm not going to give any specific spoilers here, but when Hoyd shows up in the other Cosmere books, he's kind of doing something very different. I mean, at at his core, we can presume that he is doing the same sort of thing as what he's doing here, but we don't really get to see this side of him except in the Stormlight Archive, um, at least up on, uh, compared to everything that had been published previously. Uh, the only other time I can remember, well, actually, okay, never mind. I'm not going to, I'm yep. not going to yep. uh, say spoilers. Okay. But whatever. Yeah. 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 That's fair. 
Yeah. So we'll move on to the uh, world building. And I think um, to keep this under two and a half hours, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll split oh this into two. Uh, I mean, it's a beefy book. Yeah, uh, no, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. big book. Like. Uh, we'll, each, we'll each just say, and, and we can discuss um, our favorite part of the world building. Whatever that may mean to you, just pick like one facet of it. Okay. Um, and then later on in in life, we can we can come back and invite Nathaniel and talk about all of the world building Fair. of the Stormlight months from now. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I will say my favorite is Spren, but in particular, and I don't forgive me if this is not book one, but the rare obscure kind of Spren that's talked about in one of the interludes. Uh, it is, it is probably book one. Okay. Then, yeah, I like, I oh, like the really, is weird, it like, like they talk about is intoxication. It the, the scene with Axios. Oh. Axios? Yeah. Are you, are you, yeah, you're talking about Axios, right? Yeah. I think Ooh. so. Yeah. That's one of the interludes in, um, in book one. In book one. Okay. Yeah. I like the, the, the introduction that there's these rare kind of obscure kind of spren that are probably just as proliferous but people don't look for it so they don't see them like the intoxication spren and that kind of thing i i definitely liked that that introduction of like yeah here's these weird kind of spren that aren't really necessary for the story probably look kind of weird um but i've definitely been trying to document them because that's just kind of my my goal that's what life. i do i'm uh i mean Axes is essentially a uh, Pokemon trainer. Although I will say, and I still hold to this because I brought up this point to you before. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> I think that if they ever do Way of Kings, I really, really hope they do it animated. Or if they do the Stormlight Archives, because I think the Spren are going to look really, really freaking weird set up against live action actors. What they need to do is they need to get the creator of Detective Pikachu and bring them in to do the spren because they made all the Pokemon look fairly realistic. I, I don't think it's even a realism issue, though. I just think that it's going to look very odd because they are still going to be oddly simplistic and animation-like set up against the real-world actors. Hmm. I could see it being done realistically in live action. I could uh, see it but being done. You would have done. to have a very talented. I just. Uh, you would have to have a very talented crew, yeah. Yeah, I, th I just think it'd be a lot more natural set up against as animation against other animated characters. But that's just my own point of view. Sure. Yeah, no, Spren are definitely one of the, the coolest facets of the world building. Yes. And the way that the, the different emotions. Yes. Sanderson loves showing emotion in ways that humans can't control. I was about to say, <laughs> that would also make me very uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie that somebody could potentially yep. see my inner emotions, regardless of how much I try to <laughs> not show them on my face. Mm -hmm. I could see that leading to some very awkward moments that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Inner monologues are meant to be inner. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about you, Nathaniel? What's uh, what's your favorite part of the world building of the Way of Kings? Uh, well, it's it's sort of related to the Spren in that the Spren are kind of a subcategory of it. Um, but I, I really love the ecology 
of of Roshar. Okay. Um, and I I already talked about how much I love the illustrations in this book mm-hmm. and the way Shalon just kind of like draws everything, like the sky eels and the chills and all of the different kinds of crimling. Um, it it it's it's such a unique setting for a fantasy world having all of the almost all of the creatures be not not earth creature not earth like creatures but these almost everything is a crab you know um yeah and yeah i don't know i i love the designs of the trolls and obviously the spren are part of the ecology um but in are, sort of a different way are and, they but, and the spren do well, the Sprint do interact with like the the megafauna and all of the other. They do. Okay, you're uh, right. A lot of you're the right. other animals that. Uh, on Roshar, so they are like kind of a vital part of the ecosystem, even in the physical realm. They are. Uh, and right. the sky eels fly, or they, the sky eels like fly because of the um, luxbrand. I think the luxbrand. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, so, yeah, they they definitely interact a lot. Yes, and I, I, I love about how the magic bit. is kind of seamlessly worked into that. I will say it it to to back up Nathaniel's point, like yeah, seeing that Brandon Sanderson put a lot of thought into how a world would develop if the high storm was an actual fe- feature of the world and what that would mean and how things would evolve to withstand that kind of situation. Um it was really impressive. Yeah. And and everything does evolve to crabs, so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, it gives us such a unique visual style so that, you know, even if it's something as simple as a rock bud uh, is just so iconic to the Stormlight Archive. Right. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, it's just so distinctive. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and say that my favorite part of it was the storm, is the, okay. is the, is the high storm. Um, that's that's such a cool feature, and yeah. it just uh, plopped in there with everything else. Um, I mean, he really outdid himself with taking a lot of ideas and making them cohesive, using the the surge of cohesion to uh, <laughs> to write his story. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <sighs> You are having way too much fun with I am. sound effects. It is expensive. I'm going to use them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, plot and themes. We actually uh, we talked somewhat about this with the Alethi nobles and this kind of never-ending war. Um, but I think the main, the main, if we take Cosmere as the backdrop and know that uh, kind of resurrection is a theme across all of the Cosmere. Sanderson has stated this, um, and we won't go into the various ways he's shown this, but it doesn't just mean like a Jesus-type resurrection where somebody comes back from the dead. A resurrection uh, in a character's life, in how their life is is the the direction their life is taking right and on top of that really the way of kings boils down to the worth of a life yes mm-hmm. um, i yeah. agree and and one of the main features 
in the world building that really comes into play here is the light eyes versus the dark eyes, which brings in racial themes, right? Uh, and, and a caste mm-hmm. system. Yeah, a caste system, definitely. Uh, definitely. Um, and the worth of a life transcends that so thoroughly by the yes. end of the book. It's, it's uh, beautiful. I agree. Yeah, I, I think the um, the scene at the end of this book where Dalinar gives his sword to Sarias in exchange for the Bridgeman's lives, I think that's probably my favorite scene in the Cosmere, period. I, I There are very few scenes in any book I've read that have had the same emotional effect on me that that scene does. I mean, just even thinking about it gets me emotional. It's, it's a really extraordinary moment how everything culminates there. And yeah... Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I, I quote it all the time. Yeah. I when, when I first listened to The Way of Kings, the, my main takeaway was that moment Kaladin left across the chasm saying the second ideal and coming to life with power and saving the light eyes. Right. The second time I read it, though, uh, I realized the more important scene was the, the the bigger scene the climax was giving the sword yes which i felt a little narrow uh, what what myopic in my thinking about the book from the first reread oh fair from the first read when i mm. when i realized that on the second one but absolutely what a what a great scene so how do you think that the worth of a life translates into Shalon's story? Great question. And <laughs> blanket, it doesn't. No. Well, Yasna um. <laughs> well, kills those people, and it's a, it's a tenuous connection, but there's that it, whole philosophical debate about whether or not it, the way Yasna killed those people was morally justified. I agree. And uh, that's like, yeah, it, it's... I don't. I honestly, I don't think that theme ties into Shalon's plotline that much. But there is a little bit there. But I it, actually, yeah. Sorry, no. I actually think it does. Okay. But I don't think it really does uh-huh. until the very end. Okay. Because Yasna, absolutely. Well, one, she tries to save Shalon by transmuting the, the bread and the jam. Yes. Into. The different things with the soul caster right with the soul well with just her abilities the soul caster was fake yes had shallan figure that out though yeah she figures it out yeah by the end of the way of kings yeah Yeah, by the end of the way of kings she she goes over all of that like she figures out that that the the soul caster was fake but and and i think it was definitely that as well which was yasna risking discovery of her abilities through soul casting Shalon's blood to not have the poison in it. Like, I think that it definitely does come up in that, which is Yasna shows that her mask of indifference and this like purely logic based person isn't actually who she is. And when the chips are on the table and, and she needs to do something to save Shalon's life, she does it. The worth of a life is, is more than keeping her ability secret yes exactly which is an integral part of her character given everything that came before in the book right so i definitely think that actually it does present itself it is just 
it definitely has a later payoff than it is on, on Kaladin's level. Yeah. Um, and I think the worth of a life is also addressed in Kaladin's... I, I believe there's a, a point at which he says he's going to continue living for Bridge Four. Is, is it at the Honor Chasm that he decides that? Uh, that that he tells Syl that he's going to continue... He'll become... He'll do it for Bridge Four. Right. I don't remember when he decides that. I know I know what you're talking about, but I it's been too long since I've read yeah. since my initial reading that I would have to go back and reread or re listen, whatever. Yeah. But but that and the moment in the honor chasm, um the book is is there are these deep moments at the honor chasm with the muggers in the alley with the climax of Kaladin and Dalinar, Dalinar's story, with Shalon at the end of the book. Right. It's just prevalent. Yeah. And it's great. Uh, objective morality. There's not a lot in Way of Kings. Um, and I think that's kind of intentional. There's not a lot of objective morality. Well, not well, it depends on what you're saying. I mean, if right. you're if you're talking from a meta sense, then I think there is to some extent. But I think Brandon Sanderson definitely tries to stay away from that on a subjective level with the characters. Because if you look at say Sadius, like yes, Sadius is an antagonist to Kaladin and Dalinar, but from a Lethi culture standpoint, what he's doing is not unusual. It's not really looked down upon. It is just a typical way that the high princes act and you know, that's just the way it is. And so nobody's looking sideways at him and what he decides to do. If, if anything, they think that it's a very uh, sly, clever, political move, a lot of what he does sure. to put himself forward. Sure. Mm-hmm. Zeth's chapters and how we see Zeth respond to having to kill because of the Oath Stone, but also I believe he... Eve, in some of the middle ones, he talks about not killing indiscriminately or trying not to. Right. Uh, and then he can't, he like, he doesn't want to kill the guard, but then something happens and he has to. Um, I am not great at philosophical debate. Uh, so, say. I disagree. Well, but... thank you. Uh, when I bring up objective morality, uh, my brain kind of shorts out and I don't know what I mean by that anymore. Okay, fair. So, <laughs> well, go ahead, Nathaniel. I think I think it's sort of um, addressed in the Shalon chapters where she's talking with Yasna. Oh, that's true. About um, these issues, uh, that's a pretty big theme in Shalon's chapters, I think, in this book. And there's that whole scene where Yasna is talking about the Almighty and says, um, "You know, I." You know, I have my own ideals and I, I want to follow them not because of fear of eternal retribution, but because um, they're my ideals and I want to hold up to them. And Yasna, the way of Kings is so good because we get all these different cultural contexts and we really don't get a picture that there is an objective morality here. Um, but Yasna is very much going against uh, the, the standard ideals about or the standard ideas about morality in her culture. And um, 
contrasting that with Zeth, with Zeth, even though he is reluctant to kill people, he doesn't ever really question that he's doing the wrong thing uh, because his his morality is so intricately tied to its oath stone that he doesn't like he doesn't have the ability to even question whether he can invent his own ideals and um, follow his own principles. So we really get like these completely contrasting views, uh, which is really nice. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to expand on the Zeth thing, you know, like he morality isn't really a a a concept he even considers. Mm. Like the fact is, his duty as a truthless with the oath stone and all of that, like that supersedes any of his own personal opinions on what he's doing. So Mm -hmm. morality isn't even necessarily a consideration for him. He is doing what his duty states, what his identity, like, like his identity is so tied to his status as the truthless that his own personal opinions are pointless at that point. In, in his in his view like he he just says what i think about this doesn't matter mm. i'm going to do what i am told to do as a truthless that is my lot in life my own opinions or morals on the matter doesn't matter and so yeah mm-hmm. i think it's really interesting to see that versus any of the other characters honestly that do wrestle with moral questions not just in this book but throughout the entire series mm-hmm. um dalinar in particular uh that's a big part of his chapters which is he's trying to live by the way of kings he's trying to be a more honorable what he sees as a more honorable honorable person somebody who is trying to unify the alethi and set a better example of how they should be living and even though he is not succeeding, even though that is very difficult for him, it is a very central core tenet of his chapters where he is, I mean, he even puts it on his sons. He's like, we need to be better. We need to be living better than we have been. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that I think that for Dalinar, the way of kings definitely is kind of his ultimate ideal, even though it's, again, uh, it contrasts a lot with his society and then it's it's only like barely touched upon in this book but at the very end of this book dalinar has the further revelation that honor is literally dead uh not just figuratively and that kind of uh, again it's like at the very end of this book so we don't see much of it but we can imagine that that has a, a pretty big impact on his ideas about alethi um Alethi principles, you know, if it's all kind of built on this lie that he's been told this whole life. Um, and yeah, I think. There's something I want to throw in here that I okay. just really noticed um, as we were talking about this. So I want to I want to throw it in here just so that I don't lose it. I think it's actually very interesting that if you look at it, every single one of the main characters, uh, Yaz, or not Yasna, uh, Shalon, Dalinar, Kaladin, and Zeth, all four are outcasts of their cultures. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's um, that's a yeah, that yeah. is mostly accurate. fair. Yeah, 
And so I just find that as an interesting thing, which is I don't necessarily think that the main character point of views always follow that. But I think it is very telling that in Way of Kings, all four of them are considered unusual and outcast and and counterculture to the cultures they grew up in. Yeah. That reminds me uh, of a quote that I'm going to um, paraphrase something about stories aren't written about normal people. This is true. Uh, that That's fair, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's that's really good. So the worth of a life and how to be an outcast. 101. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that would be an interesting book title. How to be an outcast. Yeah. I said that being, I see that being a young adult series. Mm. Just, you know. And then uh, outcasting is a, is a, is a magic system. Um, I, I can see how to be an outcast. 101. Uh, outcasting for fun and profit. <laughs> 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 oh no uh, all right tangent six um we we touched on the social hierarchy uh it's pretty clear i don't know if we really need to go into depth here i mean just to be pretty objective light eyes are at the top they are the nobility they are the royalty everybody else is below them at least in alethi culture right and there are r- ranks in them there, there are 10 yes. ranks um, in the nons and the dons. Yes. Um, and and we get a lot of mention of that in The Way of Kings. And uh, really, it's actually a very interesting, I think, statement on even American... It, it's an interesting comparison to American culture, which is we say in America that, you know, you can work towards being at a higher station than what you're born into. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that's actually a very, very difficult thing to achieve. And I think the Alethi culture kind of exemplifies that in a very much more literal way, which is the only way you get to be better than you are is by killing somebody with a shard blade and taking their shard blade and becoming a light eyes. And I think in a way, that's a very good comparison to American ideals, which is, Yes, we say this thing. Yes, they tell stories of dark eyes becoming light eyes by killing someone with a shard blade and taking it. But ultimately, that is a very rare and difficult occurrence. Are you suggesting that we that we can go up in our cast by killing a capitalist? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I think, yes, yes. Because I think by killing a capitalist and taking his money, yes, you would go up in... (laughs) And see, then you'd have the money to avoid the legal repercussions. Oh, that's how that works. I see. You become impervious (laughs) as if you had shard plate. Yes, exactly. um, To the legal system, which is the shard blade. uh, Or is money the shard blade? Well, see, unfortunately, what would happen is actually kind of what happened to Kaladin, which is all of the other people with equally high money as yours will turn against you as a threat and knock you down in the same way that what's his name branded Kaladin as a slave when he got the shard blade. Amaram. Amaram branded Kaladin as a slave because Kaladin killing a shard bearer like that was a threat. This is You know, if we were going to oh if, if we were going to interpret that analogy like less literally, then you could say that there is there is like an inherent violence sort of to um, becoming super successful 
even if you're not literally killing people um you know there's only like there's only so much money to go around it's like only so many people can be billionaires and so by taking a place at the top you're kind of like knocking somebody else off even if you're not literally killing them yeah um, that's uh that's actually, it's like it's it's i don't know if it's like a good comparison i i no, that no, was no, really no, apt. it is and, that was apt. Uh, yeah. and i think uh, Aleshi sure. culture is absolutely centered around violence i mean the way that they view warfare mm-hmm. the way that to become a light eyes if you are not born one you literally do have to kill someone and take their shard blade but even even like not as blatant as that like even the political dealings are cutthroat and you may not be killing somebody literally but you could be destroying their reputation you could be turning people against their ideals things like that and and yeah in mm-hmm. a lefty culture if you want to get ahead you are going to have to have some sort of violence whether it is abstract or concrete that's right um i do want to state for our listeners that when I mentioned earlier about killing a capitalist, that was not an endorsement of violence. This, <laughs> is, the not, this is not a call to action from a Sanderson podcast. It was a joke. You're not Kelsier. I am not Kelsier. And uh, and just from my point of view, eat the rich. Yeah, um, but again, we're not in. We're not uh, actually saying eat anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you've read. First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie, you know that eating people leads to terrible magic powers. <laughs> I have not read that, and now I'm curious. Oh, uh, highly recommend. And if you ever want to give an audiobook a try, the narrator, oh my god, this is one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to. And the care it's... so Okay. Quick tangent tan- 7. Tangent 7. So... so a few weeks ago, I was like, well, maybe I should acquaint myself with what people don't like Brandon Sanderson and what do they read if they don't like Brandon Sanderson. And a lot of the nine-year-old forums, not forums of nine-year-olds, these were written nine years ago. Right. Um, oh, I thought I thought you were just like insulting an entire <laughs> fan base for a second. I was really confused. If you don't like Sanderson, you're a nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they they were saying uh, if you if you want to go read if you want to read uh, epic fantasy go read Joe Abercrombie, um, so I did. Not that I hate Sanderson, obviously, but I wanted to like see the difference, right? Right. right. And I will say it is it is a quite enjoyable listen. The narrator, I I am at I haven't physically seen the book, but there is a character named Sandan Glockter, Sandan Glocker Glockter, uh, and and his character. It's a brilliant characterization. He's gone through torture to the point where he's had his teeth removed, a lot of his teeth removed, and oh. they tell you this immediately. Right. Um, so the the narrator speaks like this. Ah, and okay. It's, oh, really? It's really amazing because then the author goes into an inner monologue, and the narrator will speak normally. Oh, okay. And what's brilliant, and I'm actually stealing a lot of this for one of my characters in the novel I'm writing um, is that a lot of his inner monologue is contradictory to what he's about to say Interesting. Um, or very, very sarcastic, sarcastic and very facetious, but because this character is high up in, he's a high inquisitor. Um, so he tortures people. It's just, it's, it's brilliant. 
it is those are the chapters I enjoy the most, and there's like little to no action in them. And the other chapters are like full of great action. The right. other characters are also great, but Sandang Glockter is one of my favorite characters of all time. I highly recommend giving, especially the audiobook of um, The Blade Itself is the first book. The Blade Itself. Mm-hmm. Two recommendations for high fantasy. Okay. I Just because we're, we're kind of in yeah, that. Yeah, tangent, tangent eight and nine. The moment. One is the Night Angel trilogy. Okay. Uh, it has fantastic portrayal of of soft magic, I think, mm. in a way where it still follows rules. Like, there are still internal rules, but it is still definitely soft magic, but it is very well presented, very well realized. Um, and the character progression and the hint at previous events, but presented in a way that you don't know any more than the character does. And we're not going to elaborate because you don't know any more than the characters do. And so you are seeing things from their point of view, I think is it's, it's very unique portrayal. Um, and, and I'm not going to say it doesn't have its flaws, but it's sure it's very, it's fairly good. Uh, the second one is Priory of the Orange Tree. The second of that just came out. Yes, I know. And so I, it's not a standalone as much as I initially thought when I was reading the first one. But um, I actually kind of like that it's almost a reductionist point of view where it goes back to the fact of dragons are villains. Hmm. Well, worms, specifically. W-Y-R-M-S are villains. Dragons are... are and presented as a more eastern thing with the long serpentine things mm-hmm. and they are actually helpers to humans but the worms the fire-based ones with the wings and you know what we typically think of as a dragon are antagonists to humanity and i think it's actually kind of interesting to see somebody go back to that idea where a lot of fantasy has tried to move forward with a more nuanced view and to see this author go back to this thing where like Worms are terrifying things that tried to wipe out humanity and we barely beat them. And, you know, the the fact that they are locked away is the only reason that humans have been able to flourish. It was an interesting viewpoint to see. Nice. And I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, to give go full circle here, uh, Nathaniel, you now get the soapbox for two to five minutes to recommend. To recommend another... Uh, you know, um, I, I don't, weirdly enough, I don't read that much fantasy outside of Sanderson and it's just because I haven't gotten around to a lot of it. I guess I want to say, I want to say, I want to say anything by Neil Gaiman, uh, which is everything's going to, everyone's going to be already familiar with him, but, um, if you're looking for, if you're looking for a good, like fantasy comic book series the sandman is by far like it's it's one of my favorite series of all time not just comics the sandman is just fantastic and uh it's it's stuck with me over the years and uh it's a it's a great take on lots of lots of things um humanity and you know dreams obviously and yeah I don't know what to say about it. It's it's really hard to explain what it's about, but that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, tangent seven over. Tangent, yeah. I I mean we're seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Okay, so 
there's also potentially themes of racism or or race based issues um not so much in the way of kings but still we have the parchment um, yes and they are mm-hmm. a completely separate race species I yes guess. um yes. and it's pretty pretty obvious we don't really need to other than a general uh general surgeon warning don't be racist well um, and i think it's interesting uh, though that um i will i will cut in here just to give a bit of a, a slightly interesting nuanced view which is the fact of they refer to the people as the parchment until they find that one tribe that is not subservient and interacts with them normally and is a normal person and they they give them a in my opinion kind of an interestingly racist name of the parshendi which is like yes they're parshmen but they're different than parshmen so they give them the name the parshendi to to differentiate them the parshmen who can think right is what it it, translates yeah, parchment, to. Yeah. yeah exactly parshmen who can think and so that's that is really a very racist that's term incredibly racist uh, but I like that. I like that they put that in because it definitely does show that kind of flippantly racist view that I think a lot of people had, which was, oh, yeah, naturally Parshman can't think. So these are the odd ones, the Parshman who can naturally. rather than assuming that, you know. So, yeah, I just I found it interesting. I liked it. And I think it mattered that Sanderson use that whole framing device you know i can't i can't help but draw a an, a parallel between the way the humans first encountered the parshendi on the shattered plains and the way europeans first countered a lot of indigenous civilizations mm. because the accounts we do get some scenes in the way of kings where shalon is reading like the first-hand accounts of when they first met and there are some there are some pretty like distinct similarities where there's like miscommunication between the two of them where the humans think that the the parchment worship mm-hmm. actually oh wait um i guess that's like a, a minor spoiler that they there there definitely seem to be some parallels and even like the as you were saying uh the name parchment can think kind of reminds me of how when Europeans first encountered Polynesians, they thought that they had European ancestry in them because they were capable of such great oceanic feats that they assumed that they, they must have some ancestry in Europe. Wow. And that that idea that like, yeah, no, seriously. Um, and I don't know, the kind of like derisive name parchment who can think reminds me of that. Yeah. That, uh, they, they're saying, oh, these are not like other other parchment that we've met these ones are clearly more like us that's really uh that's really apt sanderson did his yeah. homework oh and i think i think it's definitely explicit like yeah i i do not think that was an accident oh, no. no um but we're going to move on to our uh criticisms and final thoughts so i mean we know no book is perfect and any author will tell you that no book is actually finished uh it's just given up on <laughs> uh, there were uh, you know if you if you go to dragon school connor or wherever that that's what a lot will say in, the, in their panels is right that it's never finished you just give up on it right and it's or it's good enough right uh which i'm cool with that's fine. <laughs> yeah uh so um <laughs> criticisms 
literary criticisms. I literary. will say that if it were anybody other than Brandon, the intro does not work. Like the only reason I stuck with it is that I knew Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. And I knew the quality of his writing. And, and he'll I knew tell you the same thing is that's it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah. He, he gets to do it because he was an established author. Right. Like, like, yeah, if it were yeah. anybody else and they, it, they started the book off the way that he did with way of Kings. 4,500 years ago. <laughs> right. Like I probably, I would have <laughs> given up. I'm not going to lie. I would have given up, but I knew that Way of Kings was going somewhere, and I knew Brandon's quality of writing. Like, it wasn't even just that he was an established author. It was that he was an established author of works that I absolutely loved, and I had seen the quality of his writing. And I knew that even though he was starting off as atypical with this book as he did, that it would go somewhere. But, I mean, on that front, I think maybe the criticism is don't start with Way of Kings. Mm. like i think you were probably a singular experience because i think you did start sanderson's reading way of kings i did but i would say that if somebody was just picking up way of kings off of a non-in-depth recommendation Mm -hmm. if they just saw how popular it was and picked up the first one and started to cold read it I could very well see somebody being very turned off by the way that he starts the way of Kings. Yeah. Small, small tangent. I actually have a recommendation for your recommendation listeners, uh, your recommendation system. Try not to actually read or watch shows or watch movies or listen to music unless you have two solid recommendations for it from people you trust. Uh, that is a, uh, uh, a, a guideline that has served me very well because Fair. when two or more people have recommended something it's been amazing when one person has it might just be been... suiting their niche yes so tangent over Fair. nathaniel what criticisms are you, you know, bringing to i get table? a lot of oh go ahead Oh, I was just going to say in response to that, I actually, I get a lot of my book recommendations from online, which is probably not the most reputable source, but it could be worse. Um, I, I have, yeah. Um, but I have found some good things just by like looking up what are, you know, like what are the top rated or best reviewed science Fair. fiction books of all time, you know, for sure. For like sure. That is, like that. that is an excellent yeah. way of doing it. That is, yeah, no, I, and I, I've, uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow that I recommended earlier was the um, best fiction of 2022 according to Goodreads. Um, oh, okay. By popular vote, so definitely hit up those systems if you're really needing a wreck. But if, if somebody's just like, yeah. "Hey, you should do this," yeah. I was like, "Ah, okay, I'll add it to my list to wait until another person tells me to <laughs> that I trust." <laughs> right. Other than otherwise, I'm just going to be like, "Okay, yeah, there's not enough time in the world for all of this." But sure. okay, criticisms. Nathaniel. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say what I think is probably Sanderson's biggest weakness as a white as a writer in general, uh, which is dialogue. Um, I, okay. I, I just I don't really dig his dialogue. Um, he has a lot of tells in his dialogue that makes it obvious that it's written by him. And he, he uses a lot of like the same the prose itself. You know, I can I I can ignore the occasional clunky phrase, 
but when the characters themselves start talking in ways that feel unnatural, that kind of throws me off. And I, I, I don't think it's that bad in the Way of Kings in particular. I just think it's like a general Sanderson thing. Uh, I didn't I didn't really know what to say about the Way of Kings in particular, but the way he uses words like delightfully and uh, horrendous uh, in in conversations that people mm-hmm. don't actually really say that often. Yeah, I don't know. It's it just kind of stands out. That's fair. I know it in the in the Mistborn trilogy, he used maladroitly very often. The word yeah. maladroitly, uh, which Except. was fine. It was it was an appropriate usage, but it would like pop out every time. Right. It's like all this <laughs> all this prose and then the word maladroitly contrast. Anyways, my criticisms. Can I even think of any? Obviously, I didn't rate it perfectly, right? The length is a, is a bit much. Not that it was, not that it was an appropriate length. No, but starting at a tw- at a, over a thousand pages for book yeah. one. Yeah, um, it's it's a sell on the audiobook when you can say ah, it's over forty five hours. Yes, that is a that is a plus <laughs> one I recommend. Yes, physically, I have only recommended one person read the physical book, and that's just because I've seen him read physical books and then. Um, he, it didn't it didn't even seem to phase him that the book was thicker than his arm and so it you know i i want to give reasons for people to read things and not have to qualify um with oh you know just be wary of this thing you know right. if you're not yeah um and, and length is length is a big one that's fair yeah I would also say as sort of criticism, if you haven't read any of Brandon Sanderson's other works, there's going to be things that you absolutely miss and are completely lost on. That's true. I definitely think that Way of Kings is like you can you can get through the story without knowing who those characters are. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the interludes are going to seem completely pointless to you Mm -hmm. if you don't have the history for who these other characters are. And the fact that they're all showing up in Roshar. Yeah, I agree. And if you don't have the mind to kind of remember side characters that may or may not pop up later, especially in interludes, like if, if you listen to something and it's completely out of your mind the next second. Right. It, you know what? It's difficult to, uh, or, or if you read something and you, you know, can't hold it up, maybe you need to take notes or visit the Copper Mind. Or that, yeah. The wiki for that said, despite all the criticisms, phenomenal book. Yeah, yeah. Final thoughts, final thoughts, and impressions. We have a phenomenal book. Yeah, I mean that's that's my my final thoughts is that despite all the criticisms, despite the atypical beginning, despite all of that, it's still a phenomenal book. It's still one I would recommend. And I mean Sanderson in general is somebody that I will always recommend. Sure, unless you specifically tell me oh i hate fantasy don't recommend anything fantasy to me i think i'll probably always recommend apparently there are people like that which is (laughs) bizarre to me but you know that's fine yeah i actually met i i I work with two people um that i found out today some of their family members read brandon sanderson and and it's their sons oh okay um and they're in the teenagers, and um, one of them wishes that he would read something other than Brandon Sanderson, you know, to get more 
um, variety in there. And I was like, you could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse. Also, I mean, just based off of that love, I could probably recommend a few authors uh, they yeah. would enjoy. Well, she uh, she wanted classics and and stuff. Oh, uh, well, and okay. She didn't think that 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 uh, I do I do not hold any any uh weight with classics quote unquote and mm. and feeling that they are somehow higher literature than yeah what we produce now but that's a tangent for another day but if if you're listening to this and you think you are that person whose mother would like him to read something other than Brandon Sanderson check out other stuff make your mom happy <laughs> all right um <laughs> Nathaniel, what are your what are your final thoughts on uh, the Way of Kings? Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's like the closest thing to a perfect fantasy book I've read. It, it's it's such a strong opener to the series, and also stands on its own so well. And having, um, I, I came to the Cosmere shortly after finishing the Wheel of Time, um, which I don't know if you've read that series, but nope, um, and I they, won't. I'm just yeah, kidding. Uh, so, so, probably well, not. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's that's fair because um, I, I I really personally enjoy that series, and I, I it gave me like for years. It it took me like two years to read the entire series. It just gave me something to always be reading, and at that stage in my life, I always needed to be reading something like ABR. Every always be reading moment. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, um, and, and the fact that I didn't like need to think about what to read next, that I just, could just always pick up the next book, that was really convenient. Um, but nonetheless, that there were a lot of things about that series that frustrated me, and I, I also think that the first book in that series is just it's like entertaining, but it's not the strongest opener. Uh, it doesn't really do a, a great job establishing what's unique about the series. Mm. And it's not really until like a few books in that you start to realize what makes the the Wheel of Time unique. The The Way of Kings is not that. The Way of Kings does a really good job establishing what makes this book different. And it doesn't feel like any other fantasy I've read. Uh, and for that, I, I have a lot of appreciation for it. I have another tangent and I apologize, but this actually involves you, Nathaniel, and my boss. Um, okay. Because uh, I mentioned to her, Mistborn, and she was like, okay, I'm going to add that to my list. I'm going to get it on Audible. She was like, I'm trying to read, listen to The Wheel of Time. And I had just watched your video, Nathaniel, about the wheel of time yeah, and how you, and, and your little skit where the characters go back and forth about loving it and hating it at the same time. And I quoted yeah. that to her and she was like, Oh, okay. And I don't know if she started Mistborn, but, um, this is directly related to you and my boss who's super cool. If you're listening to this, <laughs> FYI, <clears throat> that's cool. Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I think, um it, a lot of wheel of time fans are like that like going back and forth about whether or not it, what's good about the series and what's not good about the series and um yeah i i, I again i i really personally enjoy it um but i um i know there are a lot of fans who have conflicted feelings about it and i do too but yeah 
there you go. That's been our review of the Wheel of Time. Indeed. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think that that's. I I don't think there's a whole lot more to say about the book, to be perfectly honest. No, no there isn't. Um, cool. I mean, I think that's Way of Kings. Uh, that is and that is the Way of Kings. Next will be a discussion of Words of Radiance. Yep. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what pops out. Indeed. On the uh, on the podcast. Thank you again, Nathaniel, for being uh, a wonderful guest host. Yeah. And uh, no, thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Okay. Um, sorry. It's just too entertaining. It's fine. Very glad uh, you could be here. Season two is off to a wonderful start. Much more to come. Until next time, don't panic, world hoppers. Life before death, strength before weakness. And tangents before destination. The music you hear is part three, The Spirit, from Zavadilla's The Music of Elantris, produced by B-Roll Records. Available now on Apple Music, Spotify, and most music providers. If you like what you hear and you want others to hear it as well, please leave a rate and review. It really helps us get more listeners.